whether it be a prayer of adoration or a prayer of confession or a prayer of intercession, I feel like we need to be communicating with God more often and maybe not talking as much but listening more. So we hope that these services will be uplifting and guiding and directing in your own spiritual formation and the lives that you lead and the lives that you touch. We're continuing with our series today, The Mark of Christ, as we walk through the Gospel of Mark. And I think I've asked you to get through about the fifth chapter right now. And I'm going to ask you this week to do six and seven. So you got a little homework. Six and seven. And by the time you get to seven, you're almost halfway through this most intimate and interesting Gospel. Just a couple of more chapters. And I hope that you have not only done it, but I hope that you found it enjoyable and uplifting, instructive in nature. Mark is an amazing gospel, tells us things about Jesus that the other gospels failed to do so. But I believe the intimacy of Mark is special as we understand the teachings of Jesus and try to apply it to our lives. And today we go to the end of the fourth chapter, the fourth chapter of Mark, and we're going to talk about a story that I am sure you have heard before, and yet yet today I'm going to ask that you look at it through different color lenses or different colored glasses, because we're going to go to Mark 4. 35, and read this story that he writes about Jesus and the disciples. And this is what Mark writes. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Gracious Father, may we feel your touch and your presence among us, the touch and presence of your Holy Spirit. I ask, Father, that I might hide myself in the shadow of the cross. Let these words be your words, and may we have minds and hearts to understand these words and apply them to the very lives that we lead and the lives that every day we touch. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we lift up this prayer. Amen. When I was a plebe at the United States Naval Academy, we were getting ready to go on youngster cruise, which is the cruise between freshman and what is sophomore year. And uh, that's a two-month cruise. Some went to the Pacific, some went to the Atlantic. But we all went through basically the same training, and I went to Norfolk. And they put us through all sorts of uh, tests, uh, but one test I can remember vividly is one of damage control, where they put you in this big steel box that's made to look like the inside of a ship. It's got, it's got hatches, and it's got passageways, 
but it also has holes in it. There are pipes that leak. And they lower it into the water. And then they start to tilt it in the water. And you and a crew of others have to go around patching the holes and plugging it up, trying to prevent it from sinking. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? And actually it is. But of course, the more you patch and try to mend, the more they keep tilting it and the more water pours in. Until toward the end, a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds decide, oh, let's just make it sink. And so we let more and more water in. We take the patches off. And the water gets higher and higher and higher. It sounds a little scary, but it wasn't. Actually, it was a lot of fun. We were screaming and yelling. The instructors didn't care much for it, so they said, okay, everybody out. They lifted it up, dumped out the water, and put us in there again. He said, patch it. Don't let the boat sink. Today's story out of Mark is indeed about another boat. A boat that we're told was right on the brink of sinking because we're told that Jesus had spent the day teaching there at the Sea of Galilee. And when evening was coming on, he said, instead of going home, he said, hey, let's go to the other side. Let's go over to the other side where the Gentiles lived. Instead of going home and sitting by the fireplace and having a cup of coffee and saying, hey, it's been a great day, he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They climbed into the boat. They started across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was so worn out, he was so tired that he fell asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat. Now, we are told that storms are very common on the Sea of Galilee. The sea itself is about 600 feet below sea level. It's a relatively small body of water. It's about 10 miles long and 4 miles wide. But at its deepest point, it's about 150 feet deep, surrounded by mountains. And because it is below sea level, it is particularly susceptible to storms because the wind is funneled down through those mountains and kicks up the sea, and all you have to do is add a thunderstorm coming across, and you can have it going from a placid, calm sea to 20, 25-foot waves in nothing like that. And that's what we're told happened. The sea was absolutely calm, and then it became extremely violent. And in such a boat that Pat was telling the kids about, it was only about 16, 18 feet long, and it had low gunnels, low sides, so the fishermen could drag their nets over the side. So you can imagine with 20-foot waves coming in, this thing was filling up fast. We were going to the bottom. Now, what I've always found amazing about this is that this story takes place in the backyard of the disciples. Not all of them, but most of them were fishermen. They had been in these boats. They had been on the Sea of Galilee. Surely, they had come up to these storms before. They had seen and dealt with them certainly many times before. But here in this story, there's no hint of anyone under control. There's no hint that anybody knows what to do. They're running around like proverbial chickens with their heads cut off. The storms of life can overpower us in the same way. We can feel all nice and cozy. We can be at home, at work, no problems, no complaints. And then we have a storm, a storm that changes who we are or what's going on in our life. It can be in our own backyard, and we can be unprepared for it, just like the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. And then to make matters worse, when this storm came, it came at night. It came 
in the darkness. Now, I'm sure probably many of you have never been at sea at night, but certainly you have driven your cars at night, perhaps on an interstate in the middle of a thunderstorm and lightning. It can be downright scary, especially when you can't see the car in front of you. Darkness has that effect on us. It's bad enough in the sunshine, but when it's dark, it's doubly difficult. I'm reminded of the story I read about the little boy who was visiting a local zoo, and somehow he got separated from his parents. And they had been all together in an attraction known as House of Night. This is where nocturnal characters or creatures, I should say, crawled and flew about in this house. So it was already scary, but then for some reason the circuit breaker popped, and the whole place went absolutely dark. And the little boy reached for the first hand he could find there in the darkness. And a gentle lady kneeled or bent over and said, And who do you belong to, little boy? And he said, I'm yours until the lights come on. (laughs) Isn't that true for all of us? I'm yours until the lights come on. We're not sure exactly whose hand we have a hold of, but the dark doubles our fright and our fear. I can relate to that. Kids, can you relate to that? You ever been trapped in the dark someplace? Ever lost mommy and daddy someplace while you've been out shopping? You ever all of a sudden turned around and they weren't there? It happened to me all the time. Mom would take me to the grocery store, and I'd get really busy looking at something on the shelf, and she'd go around the corner with the grocery cart, and when I looked up and she wasn't there, out of my depths of who I was came a blood-curdling scream that brought not only my mother from around the side, but usually one of the assistant store managers down the aisle. It was enough to send everybody to an air raid siren. It's not easy when you get abandoned, when you get left, especially by mom and by dad. She wouldn't do that, though. She wouldn't do that. And so here we go. Sooner or later, we all have storms in our lives. We're all faced with rough weather. There's something that happens that we term a storm. You're either in one or you're exiting one or you're just about to enter into one because all of us experience storms. And the worst part of that storm, the roughest part of that storm, is when we think that Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. You know what I'm talking about. You got a lousy prognosis from the doctor. Jesus, where are you? Your spouse decides they want a divorce. You get laid off from your job. Your children are mortally, seriously ill. And you fall on your knees, tears pouring down your face, your heart pounding away, pleading. Don't you hear me, God? Where are you? And the silence is devastating. You pray and you pray and you pray and nothing seems to happen. The more you ask for divine help, the less seems to happen. And you think to yourself, Where is God when I really need him? There's a story about Albert Schweitzer, who spent over 40 years in Africa, tending to Africans and their health needs, sometimes 365 days out of the year and 24-7. He dedicated his life 
to serving others. And the story is told that one day one of the villagers came to him and found Dr. Schweitzer asleep on his porch in a rocking chair. And he came out and he literally cried to Dr. Schweitzer, wake up, don't you care? I don't feel good. Here's the man who dedicated 40 years and 24-7. He was just trying to catch a little shut-eye. And here comes somebody who says, don't you care? What are you sleeping? I don't feel good. Sounds like some of us and our mothers. I don't care. I don't feel good. I still do that to Laurie. All of us can look back at times in our lives where we've had a series of answered prayers, but somehow when the storm really gets bad, we forget about all those answered prayers, and we start asking, where are you, God? Don't you care? Can't you hear me? Why doesn't God intervene? Don't you know we're going to perish, God? Where are you? Sean has already mentioned it, but I cannot possibly imagine the storms that are going on this day in Parkland, Florida. The families whose lives have been irrevocably changed forever. The friends who will never come back to school. And the faculty who will never look at school quite the same way. Can you imagine the storms in those lives? And I am sure that more than once this past week and the weeks to come, the question will be asked, where is God in the midst of all this evil? Where is he? Doesn't he care? Just like the disciples in the small boat, we all have storms in our lives, each and every one of us. And yet God still cares about us, even when we're tossed about by the biggest, darkest storm that there is. And we often call out to God not to surrender our lives or not to say he's able to deliver us. We call out to God because we feel abandoned, that he's not listening to us, that he's not really there. Where are you, God? Why have you abandoned me? Where are you? And we've all asked it in a number of different ways. We've asked the questions. Jesus, where are you? My child is very sick. Jesus, where are you? My marriage is falling apart. Jesus, where are you? My friends have deserted me. Jesus, where are you? I don't have any money left in my bank account. Jesus, where are you? I feel so alone. Jesus, where are you? I want to give up. Jesus, where are you? Just like the disciples, teacher, do you not care that we perish? We all go through that. All of us have storms in our lives, and there are times when we think that there's nobody there to hear. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. The disciples were scared. And they finally shouted enough and shook Jesus enough that he woke up. I'm surprised he didn't throw them overboard, but obviously he was not upset with them, at least not initially, because he got up and saw the storm around them, and he rebuked the sea. Jesus walks up to the boat calmly and confidently and stills the storm. He rebukes the wind, and he quiets the waves. Be still, 
And immediately there was an immense calm. Wow. Wow. Doesn't that amaze you? Can you imagine being there? How about you and I be one of the disciples in the boat? Can you imagine being surrounded by rain and 20-foot waves and the thunder and the lightning and all of a sudden it's absolutely calm? Can you imagine what the disciples were doing? Woo! High five. This is the guy. We picked the right one. Little body bumping. Hey, this is fantastic. This has got to be the guy. We got a lot of health healers around, but nobody can do it like he can. Can't you see Jesus there in the back of the boat saying, congratulations, disciples. You have just seen my very best work, right? Wrong. Wrong. Because Jesus is very disappointed with his disciples. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus was disappointed despite all of his teachings. His disciples were being ruled by a spirit of fear and not of faith. Don't you have faith? Don't you have any faith, Jesus was asking? And the same question could be asked for us. Let's be honest. After all that God has done us throughout our years, after everything that God has answered for us, don't we still come to those times when we ask, hey, where are you? Why haven't you answered my prayer? The disciples called him rabbi, teacher, and yet they didn't understand his teachings. He had been there performing miracles in front of them. How many miracles would you have to see before you believed? How many healings would you have to experience firsthand before you believed? And if you don't believe that, If you're out in a boat in the middle of a thunderstorm with 20-foot waves and somebody goes, quiet, and everything goes calm, don't you think you would believe? And yet the the disciples still had a difficult time. Remember, we're still on the road to Jerusalem. We're still on the road to Golgotha. We're still struggling to understand who this Messiah really is and what he can do. Sometimes we murmur instead of praise. And during the dark times of our lives, we forget that Jesus has already shown us the light more than once. How many times have I said, count your blessings? Count your blessings. God cares just as much when the storm is raging as when the sun is out and the seas are calm. His love is not limited by the sunlight or the stillness of the world. He is always with us. Why are you so faithful, fearful, Jesus said? Why don't you have faith? And there are two simple lessons that I want you to take away very quickly from these two questions. There is a lesson about fear and a lesson about faith. Hear me now. You see, every time we face a storm in our lives, and every last one of us will face storms, we have the opportunity, we have the choice of whether we are going to face it with fear or whether we are going to face it with faith. And you may say, well, pastor, sounds simple enough. What does that mean? Quite simply, when you face it with fear, you're looking at the storm. When you're facing it in faith, you're looking at the Savior. 
When you look at a storm and you face it in fear, that's a problem. But if you look at a storm and face it in faith with Jesus Christ, that's what we need to be about as followers of the living Lord. The greatest danger that the disciples had out there on sea was not being swamped or drowned. The greatest fear that they had was their doubt. Jesus didn't rebuke them simply because of their lack of faith. He rebuked them for not having enough faith to stay calm and to trust him that he would see them through the storm in their lives. And I'm always amazed at how the story ends. I'm amused by it. Because sometimes we get caught up in the quiet and the stillness of the, of the storm. And we fail to read the last part where the disciples are now terrified, not by the storm, but by this Jesus in front of them. They are terrified by him. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Before they were just terrified by the storm, and now they're terrified by the knowledge that they are in the presence of the one that controls everything. In the calming of the storm, Jesus assumes the authority that only God has over nature. He demonstrates his divine nature and his power over that nature. And the disciples immediately recognized his authority. This is no ordinary man. This is not like all of the rest. This is the person that even the forces of nature obey. The simple takeaway to this story as I close is that Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. We just got done celebrating Advent. We said, Emmanuel, God with us. And yet this is the physical demonstration that Jesus Christ is indeed with us. Whether it's the good times or the bad times, whether it's the calm or the storm, What do you have to fear? What do you have to fear when Jesus is with you? Get in the boat and trust in him. Now, I need to tell you that Jesus doesn't always promise calm seas. But he does promise to calm us in every sea. Jesus doesn't promise to speak peace in every storm that comes our way. But he does promise to give us perfect peace in the midst of of every perfect storm. Let me tell you this, my brothers and my sisters. If you want a quiet life, a life of peace and contentment, don't follow Jesus. If you want a secure life, a life lived within the boundaries of safety, don't follow Jesus. If you want a life that is all mapped out, a life that you plan and you control, Don't follow Jesus. But if you want a life that is special and full in every way possibly imaginable, if you want a life that has meaning and purpose and direction, not only in this life but in the life yet to come, if you want a life that is filled with the desire to love and to be loved, then get in the boat and trust in him. He'll see you through. He still calms the storms. And even when you don't think he's there, he's there. And even when you think he's asleep, he's got one eye open. 
and he's listening, and he knows. The promise is made that he will always be with us. And during the calm or during the storm, we can trust and depend on him. Will the clouds of your storm dissipate immediately? No guarantees. No guarantees whatsoever. Will you no longer have to struggle or have problems or have issues in your life? That I doubt it. How about will you be famous and rich and prosperous? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And you might say, well, you know, Pastor, that doesn't sound like much of a promise. You know, Jesus is with us, but he's not going to do any of those things? Perhaps not. But I remind you, it was a good enough promise to put Noah through the flood. It was a good enough promise to move the chosen people, the Jewish people, through the wilderness. It was a good enough promise to have Mary through her pregnancy. It was a good enough promise to see Peter through his denial. And it was a good enough promise to see Jesus through his crucifixion. And then obviously, it must be a good enough promise for you to see you through the darkest, stormiest night of your lives. Get in the boat and trust him. Trust him. Would you bow your heads with me, please?